Welcome to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers. Leaders are the heartbeat of any organization. Let Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler share with you the pathway to becoming a top leader in your organization. Now, here are your hosts, Dr. Greenberg and Dr. Nadler. Welcome to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers. I'm Dr. Relly Nadler, Dr. Kathy Greenberg is here also, you know, Kathy and I have been doing this now for 16 years, and we're really glad to bring on Chris Shipley, who wrote a book, uh, co-authored The Empathy Advantage, Leading an Empowered Workforce. We'll bring her on in just a moment, but you know, emotional intelligence is always what we're focusing on, and one of the key aspects or competencies of emotional intelligence is empathy. And I know, uh, Kathy, for, for you and I, uh, dealing with the leaders that we deal with, sometimes empathy can be a soft topic, uh, but I think it's so valuable uh, for our leaders. And I know I talk about it uh, all the time and how can people express that empathy, especially with coming out of the pandemic and people being more anxious, uh, apprehensive, angry, sad, you know, emotions are at a premium. And we like to say leaders have a, in the midst of a tsunami of emotions for themselves, but also for people that they're leading. And somehow they're looking at you, if you're the listener, a leader, how do you help me? You know, we know today from Gallup, about 75% of us want more emotional support. And that's from you the leader. And you're not a counselor, you're not a psychologist, um, but how can you give that emotional support? And so uh, before we go any further, Kathy, let me bring you on and um, check in. How are you doing and, and ready for the I'm show? I'm great, Riley. Thank you so much. Hello, everybody. Welcome. Welcome. We are going to have a fabulous show today talking about the uh, the empathy advantage. And, you know, we're, I think, very uh, fortunate, really, that we've been on the air now for 16, gone on 17 years. And we have so many wonderful people out there in the world who offer uh, to be on our show. And it just astounds me. Um, you know, we also want to remind all of our readers that we have a free ebook. You can get it right at the landing site. And it's called 11 Reasons Why You Need Emotional Intelligence. You can get all kinds of cutting-edge tools and strategies for both you and your team to be brilliant in the moment with our online learning program. And um, you can always go to uh, our website. Uh, and really, uh, you know, we have been using www.emotionalbrilliance.com backslash academy for the new LMS. And hopefully, you'll go there and visit with us. Great. Okay, so let's bring on uh, Chris. And I know we uh, initially had her co-author, Heather uh, McGowan. And I heard just before we were getting on, uh, Kathy, you were asking Chris about their book. And Chris, welcome to the show. We'll we'll do a, a little quick bio on you. So Chris, so, uh, welcome. Delighted to be here and talking with you today. There she is. So Chris Shipley has documented, influenced, and predicted the impact of technology on business and society for more than 30 years. As a journalist, uh, she covered the tech industry for leading publishing companies. And as an analyst, she identified innovative startups and gave them a stage to launch their market-making product. As a catalyst, She has advised hundreds of early-stage companies on positioning, business modeling, and innovative practices. And today, Chris joins us, and she's focused on her work on the human and organizational challenges in the face of technology and economically-driven disruption. You can learn more about her at www.cshiplee.com. Welcome to the show, Thank you very much for having me. So, Chris, we, we typically try to get a little bit of an idea of kind of, you know, who you are, who've been some of your your influences before we kind of get into who you are professionally. So, when, you know, with that, 
What has been some of the major influences for you in your life? Well, I suppose this is a, a bit cliche, but I have to, to really dig back and say it's my parents. My father was a Methodist minister. My mother was a school teacher. Um, in fact, my mother mm-hmm. had five kids and, and got us all into, into elementary school or beyond before she decided to go back to college full-time, making a, a real pivot in her life. Um, and managed uh, five kids and, and a preacher husband and all those responsibilities, but always did it with this amazing level of uh, both of them, uh, service and and empathy. And I think that's where I sort of mm. understood that my purpose in life was to try to, to function more as a in service of others, and that has led me into some really interesting directions. So they, they uh, gave me a good foundation. You have this new book that you have, The Empathy Advantage, uh, Chris, with your co-host, Heather McGowan. You said it just came out on March the 8th, and your your tagline here is how to lead in a world of change. What are, what are some of the services that you're offering as part of understanding uh, more about the advantage of empathy? Well, first, um, Heather and I have been collaborating for nearly 10 years on issues of future of work and and workplace dynamics. And so she's uh, very busy as a speaker and talking to a lot of executive teams about the trend lines that we're seeing and that we're writing about in in this book and our previous book, uh, The Adaptation Advantage. And um, both of us then in those roles spend a lot of time with leadership teams, helping them build a culture that um, engages their employees more fully, that helps um, them be more adaptable to the changes that are coming into the marketplace. And really, in in my case, I work a lot about creating the conditions that allow teams and companies to be far more innovative. So a lot of of speaking, a lot of consulting, a lot of engaging directly with with young teams to help them build that leadership muscle that's so very Mm. important. So, Chris, so it's not only um, teams that have been in existence for a while. It sounds like, you know, you and Heather have a, have a focus on, on some startups. Is that, is that a big part of what you're doing? I spend a lot of my time in the startup uh, ecosystem, and, and Heather probably more corporate than I, in part because I, I realized very early in my career as I was looking at many early-stage companies that those that really had established a deliberate culture that really um, – worked to sort of understand what the leadership style and the the shared and aligned values were of the team were far more effective than companies that, uh, you know, young teams that came together and kind of created an accidental culture. And and I'm fond of saying that every company has a culture. They're either deliberate and intentional or they are accidental. And in my observation, Mm -hmm. accidental cultures almost always become toxic. So if we can get in and work with young companies, young leadership teams, before that happens, as they form um, their kind of work agreements among themselves and with their their teams, um, we can build much more healthier organizations that really thrive regardless of what technology throws their way. That is amazing. I just wrote that down. Deliberate cultures versus accidental cultures and the toxicity Mm -hmm. that you have noted in the best experience that you have working with these organizations. I can't imagine that uh, the pandemic uh, did not influence that. You know, the pandemic brought some dramatic changes to the workplace. Um, and and in, in terms of the work that you're doing, what do you think exactly has changed, Chris? Well, it's, it's interesting. I think that the pandemic didn't, I mean, it certainly created a lot of change. Let's let's be clear about that. But I, in many ways, I think the pandemic was a great amplifier. It put a lens on a lot of things that were already happening. So, we, for example, lots of conversation about the great resignation, people just you know, walking, voluntarily walking away from their jobs. Well, that was a trend line that really began to tick up dramatically beginning in 2009. In fact, it was, was kind of at a peak at 2020, right at the start of the pandemic, and dropped off a cliff for about a year and then skyrocketed again um, to, to new heights of voluntary resignation. So that resignation wasn't really driven by the pandemic. In fact, the, the early days of the pandemic kind of 
stopped it uh, cold for about six to eight months, and then we saw it uptick again. Cultures that were cultures and organizations that were very nurturing and engaging of their employees did better in the pandemic because they already had established how they were going to you know, the rules of engagement, how they worked together. Companies with with say less structured or were well understood. Now, culture it really sometimes struggled um, as they switched from a work in office to a, a work from home environment that required whole new levels of, of trust and um, empowerment and autonomy to the worker. If you were an organization that needed to, or a leader who needed to micromanage and see your people at work, it was a really hard time for you because you couldn't, in fact, see your people at work. And you had to give them trust. You had to let them have the agency to do their work. You had to, as a result, lead them differently. And the case we're trying to make, and Heather and I in this book, is that once you have given your team, your your workers, um, the agency, the autonomy, the trust to do their the work you've directed them to do, you've pointed them toward the goal and said, this is what needs to be done, this is what we're trying to achieve together, Having them, you know, bringing them back into the office and saying, "Well, I, re- I really, it was nice that you got to work from home, but I don't, I don't really feel good about that." So you're going to have to come in so I can watch you work. Um, you can't take that agency, you can't take that trust, and try to, you know, put the toothpaste back in the tube. These these folks now understand that there is a new and better way to work, and they're not going to go easily back to anything. But rather, I think we need to start thinking about how do we go forward to a new way of work where everyone can be empowered by the mm-hmm. same sense of trust and agency. Yeah, definitely. So, so um, looking at some of the stuff that you have around the empathy advantage, you know, I really love what you're saying is there's shifts in leadership. Uh, you know, you have four shifts. The one that uh, maybe you can speak to some of these is the mind, mindset shift. And, and just in the languaging is, that the team doesn't work for you anymore, you work for the team. And maybe say a little bit about that because I think that's a huge shift, obviously. Um, how is like how have you been able to imbue that to folks where they accept that? Because that, that's a huge shift. And then you got other ones around culture, approach, behavior. But on that mindset, any kind of examples or, or how how is that for people? How hard is that to make I work for my team? Yeah. Yeah, really, that's a great question because it really is hard um, for many people, and particularly people in, in say, the Gen X or, or Boomer generations in the workforce. You know, we came up with this idea that the boss was was the authority. The boss had all the information. The boss was the the one in charge, right? And if that was good for us, and we finally have attained these positions of leadership. Then that's what how we know how to 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 manage and lead forward. Well, mm-hmm. the challenge here is that in a rapidly changing environment where new technologies, new markets, new ideas are continuously disrupting an organization, it's pretty difficult for any one leader. I really challenge most folks to find one who knows everything, who is the all-knowing boss who can then tell everyone what right. they need to do and knows how to do everybody's job better than they know them themselves. In fact, by recognizing that that's not the case, that I, as a leader, I don't know. I have pockets of knowledge in my organization that when they come together, they are better. We Our collective intelligence is stronger. Then I actually can get a, have a better outcome, have greater engagement, and drive better performance uh, if I just let go of the idea that I have to know everything. And, in fact, we, we, mm-hmm. we actually have this kind of like a mantra, which is, I don't know, but let's find out together. And that shift, it's tough, but it's ultimately, I think, for for leaders who have had this kind of command and control mentality, also really liberating, because the stress of having to know everything and everyone is just kind of too much for most folks. But if you recognize that, you know, among us, our members of our team, we actually have this body of knowledge that will allow us to perform well, then your job as a leader isn't to command and control, it's to to enable. It's to be the person who is mentoring and coaching and connecting that such that your team can work better 
rather than being the one to, to direct and, and, and drive such that you feel pretty good about yourself as a leader, but your team is, is disconnected. So that is a major mind shift. If you think about it, it's, I'm not about these people making me look good. My job as a leader is making them look good and making our team look good and our performance overall mm. will outshine. As you're talking, Chris, I can't help but recall a saying that you might find some joy in. Uh, Rally, I'm sure you've heard me say this before, but uh, the old saying is, we don't have it all together, but together we have it all. Because uh, mm. when we think about the empowered workplace, right, that's exactly what we're, we're trying to achieve in this mindset. And one of the things that you talk about, which I'm very curious about, um, are that in our new workplace where we require a more empathetic approach to leadership, and we see this across the board. We see it in the military where you weren't allowed to say, I don't know. Um, we see it in a sports team uh, where you see this compassion where a coach, and I've heard coaches tell me some of the greatest coaches uh, in college basketball say, look, I can't, expect my players to come to me and be what I want them to be as a coach. I have to be a coach individually that is empathetic to the needs of each of the players. And one of the things that fascinates me about your work is when you talk about this empathy, and we've heard this so much over the past few years in terms of a leadership approach, what are the costs? of ignoring this shift in expectations around empathy. So I'm going to leave us with that question, Chris. I'm going to use that as a bridge. We're going to go to a break. And for those of you who are listening, don't go away. We'll be right back. We're talking to Chris Shipley. He's written a great book, and it's called The Empathy Advantage. So come right back. You're listening to Leadership Development News. the boardroom to you voice america business network icy tech like the hard-working men and women that get up every day and do their job the ones that stop at nothing to make sure that it's done right it's not just an effort it's not just know-how it's a way of life icy tech has been with you since 1998 with the veteran community being behind you, we understand. With quality, with passion, we follow you in this way of life. Icy Tech, for those who get it. Icy Tech is a proud sponsor of the Emotional Brilliance Academy, where e-learning is leading edge. How can you be brilliant in the moment? Given the daily challenges you face at work and home, how can you enhance your strengths and limit your weaknesses? Dr. Greenberg and Dr. Nadler's mission is to help people be the best version of themselves at work and at home with simple, trusted, evidence-based tips and tools. They have combined forces, applying the powerful science of emotional and social intelligence with the latest in e-learning and AI technology to bring you the Emotional Brilliance Academy. Through the leading Emotional Brilliance Academy programs, they help everyday leaders like you balance your emotions to better connect with people, enhance top performance, lead your teams, and your organization. The Emotional Brilliance Academy gives you a common-sense approach to enhance your effectiveness and happiness both on and off the job. Sign up for the program, enhance your skills, and be your best self. For a free trial, go to freetrial.emotionalbrilliance.com. That's freetrial.emotionalbrilliance.com. EBA is powered by Fearless Leaders Group, the H2C Leadership Foundation, and True North Leadership. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. listening to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers with your hosts, Dr. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. 
We know you have leadership questions for these noted experts, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Leadership Development News. We're talking with Chris uh, Shipley. If you're interested in more information about her or the book, uh, The Empathy Advantage, uh, her website is www.c, for Chris, and then her last name, Shipley.com, www.cshipley.com. And before the break, uh, Kat was saying about the cost of not demonstrating empathy in an organization. So, Chris, let's kind of go back to that. What's your thoughts on that? Hmm. Where to start? Um, you know, I set, set a little bit of context. I think often I'm, when I'm talking to people about empathy and, and what that means in terms of leadership, people, sometimes an initial reaction is, Oh, that's a soft skill. That's a nice to have. That's right. Um, if I, you know, I, if I, you know, I need to drive productivity and I, and as long as we get the job done, then I can be nice later. And I want to really reinforce that there's a huge difference between nice and empathy. Empathy is about really trying to understand where your people are coming from. It's really getting to know them. And that is onerous for a lot of leaders who felt like I just had to show up and point in the right direction and, you know, send people on their way and, you know, bark orders and, and things would get done. And now I have to actually get to know my people? Wow, that's a big shift, right? But, but here is the cost, right? And the, the most expensive cost, I think, is that your people stay in the organization miserably unhappy with your leadership, um, underperform, but, you know, kind of warm a seat for someone who else might come in and be more well-aligned with your, your work environment. That kind of quiet quitting that we're hearing a lot about, where mm-hmm. I'm not really, you know, I'm showing up every day, but I'm not really showing up. Because why should I show up if my leaders aren't there showing up for me and showing up with me? And so I think that's actually far more expensive than the other option, which is, you know, people just leave. And, and then you're in this cycle of recruiting, hiring, training, leaving, recruiting, hiring, training, leaving. And that's a leadership issue. That's that's not a personnel issue. And when you see that kind of a turnover, you've got to ask, why are these people not engaged? And why am I not engaged? Because this organization, this leader, hasn't shown me reason to be engaged, hasn't connected with me, hasn't given me a sense of belonging and a sense of, of value in the organization. And the only way you get there is really stepping back and saying, who are these people that are coming to work every day under my leadership? What are they experiencing? What are their needs? What do they need to be effective in this role that I have given them? And how can I better enable them? You know, that, those aren't hard questions to ask. Sometimes they're hard questions to fulfill. But also keep in mind that being an empathetic leader doesn't mean you're the, the fixer either. You're not going out and trying to make everybody happy. That's not what it means. But it means understanding the context in which your people show up to work every day. And that's, again, it's a really different from a command and control leadership style, but it's fundamental to getting your people engaged with the, the purpose and processes of your work. So, Chris, Raleigh and I always love to give our audiences some tips and some tools that have worked for you uh, and, and Heather uh, in your work uh, with organizations and teams, whether it's a startup or, uh, you know, a corporate environment. Can you give us some examples of even just one or two leadership, uh, maybe frameworks or tools that, that help a leader get to that place where they can be that empathetic uh, and engaging person with their employees, their associates, their stakeholders, their team members, whatever words we're using in our organization. Yeah, well, I think the first place, the first thing I would suggest to most of this a little self-empathy goes a long way. We, um, as leaders, aren't meant to uh, sort of leave leave ourselves behind and, and go forward in this armor of, of leadership. We're real people, too. And so understanding that you do come to work as someone who has uh, stress, has anxiety, has uncertainty, and, and let yourself have that. Just give yourself a moment. That, that as I said before... The ability to say, I don't know, but let's find out together, 
changes the it shifts the the stress it takes some of that that onerous I'm supposed to know everything and I don't know everything and oh my god I don't know everything and so what am I going to do because these people are going to figure out I don't know anything you know that that circle that voice we have in our head that tells us we're not performing well enough so start with self empathy give yourself a break and I think when you do that you then do the next thing that that's super important which is to exhibit some vulnerability and you know and that doesn't mean you know opening your your chest and exposing all your wounds but it does mean being willing to say I don't know. I don't have the answer. But I'm gonna. Here's how I'm gonna find out. Um, boy, that I'm worried too. I have some anxiety around this. But this is what we're gonna do to bring as much certainty as we can to the, the, this organization. It, being open, being vulnerable, being candid with your people builds that trust. Mm-hmm. It's so fundamentally important in creating even these deeper levels of, of empathy. And so I think those two pl- are two great places to start, which is just. Being able to say, I'm, I'm human too. I have the same kinds of anxieties that you do. But let's together find our, our certain, the places where we can stand in some, some degree of certainty with a strategy of how to navigate from here. That brings the anxiety level, the stress level for the leadership and for the team right. way down and allows you, I think, to then work together even in very uncertain times. Yeah. I like what you're saying, Chris, because I, I think when you say you're bringing anxiety down, it's kind of an equalizer, you know, for the leader and uh, em- employee. You know, we're in this together. Kind of going back to Kathy's statement, we're in this together. One of the one of the tools that we use. This comes from some of the emotional intelligence work, and now from Corn Ferry. How does someone exhibit uh, empathy? And I pass this on all the time. And first of all, someone, like you're saying, do you know them? Do you see their perspective? Well, a little play on words. No one knows you see it until you say it. If you don't say it, they don't know you got it. So it sounds like you're frustrated here. I can see this seems really challenging for you or that sense of you're not sure uh, where to go next. Tell me more. No one knows you see it until you say it. And I think that formula is really helpful, especially for people you know, listening. Like, okay, you got to do that first before you get into all the solution finding. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And, and sometimes I find that, that, that the simplest thing to ask someone is, are you okay? Because hmm. just that level of I care enough to know that you're okay, that you're, that whether it's at work or in your life outside of work, um, are you okay? Uh, that goes a long way to to kind of making clear to someone mm-hmm. that that you do care. And then hearing, I love that that frame, right? If I don't say it, I haven't heard it. Um, that feedback loop, right? But to do it also from a place that, right. that is, I hear, is this right? Am I hearing this correctly? You know, too mm-hmm. too many times I've had people say to me, "Oh, uh, you, I hear that you're angry, or I hear that you're." happy, or I hear that you're this. I'm like, no, I'm not. You know, that, you, you, you're misreading. So, so making sure <laughs> right, that you're right. creating that feedback loop so that you are hearing yeah. and saying in in a way that is, is driving to a, to a shared truth. Yeah. And that's really the, the bottom line here, right? That, that Relly and I try to help people, as you do, uh, Chris and, and Heather is doing, in this whole idea of engaging with empathy. Can you, can you do us a favor and connect some of the work that you're doing with well-being uh, and the actual bottom line in, in startups? I know you've connected the idea of a purposeful uh, culture, you know, something that's very deliberate versus um, something that's, more accidental. Have you found the same in the leadership styles? Uh, are they having an impact on the well-being of an organization and its productivity? Oh, I think absolutely that's the case. So I spend a lot of time working with teams around values alignment and purpose and, and culture. And it sounds, you know, sometimes people think that's a little woo-woo. Can't we just go make money? 
uh, we're a young startup. We just have to rush, rush, rush and try to, to give return on our investors' uh, money. And you can do that, and you may be very successful, but you can do that at the, at the expense of the people that are trying to work together. So burnout is a very real problem today. As you point out, wellness, mental health um, challenges are, are becoming epidemic. And a lot of that is, is this sense that, that if we drive to the bottom line, then everything's going to be okay. And I think that what Heather and I really have, have done a lot of work and reading and, and research around is if we drive to greater values and aligned purpose, if we know that what we are doing has a, uh, a real reason for existing, and it, it doesn't have to be you know, world peace and, and ending hunger. I mean, those are big, wonderful purposes. But often the purposes of businesses are much more, um, you know, much maybe seem more mundane in comparison. But still, when we're all aligned behind that, when that's what we all want to achieve together, then we can handle some of the stresses at work, many of the stresses at work, because we know that we're working for common purpose. And I think that when we're, and I would say, just to, to finish that, that when we are working in that way, we're this really well, well running machine where Productivity and profitability, performance is, is kind of the, the natural off-gassing of a team that's really well-tuned to work together, perform together. And, and we've seen this in, in a lot of statistics around teams that are at, where, with high engagement scores or teams, you know, highly diverse teams. They outperform uh, from a business perspective, from a profitability perspective, teams that are not. So... When people think about, and often you know, corporate C-suite say, well, this is all nice to have, but we just need to focus on our stock price and our bottom line, they're missing the point, which is the way to get to that better stock price, the better bottom line, to be more resilient to market disruptions is to actually to have a team that is resilient because they're working well together in this place of of purpose and values and empathy. Beautiful. Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, um, yeah Riley, I'm, I, I, I can't wait to hear what you're going to say. This is fascinating. So, and I know, Chris, we're, you know, all three of us are in organizations trying to, you know, do, doing similar work. That's why we're tapping into kind of the empathy piece. Um, and I know, uh, Kathy and I use data and research a lot. You have some research, you know, around engagement and stuff. Um, so just that shift. Like, what have you found most useful with the people who, who like you're saying, they want, you know, they got to make money, you got to um, please the shareholders and stuff. Are, how are you using the data and how are you using some of the, you know, the research to say, yeah, that's important, but here's what's more important. Like, how do you, from an influence standpoint, how do you use that? It was, it's, there is a, a whole body of research and, and mountains of data that back the idea that teams that are, the, that high performing teams are highly engaged teams. And so you might lead with that if you're making the case in the C suite that look, uh-huh. if we need to work on engagement because that engagement drives profitability. Um, but then you, you, you basically, it's, it's, it, maybe it's, it's, you know, small, smaller tests in an organization. Like let's, Let's try these techniques in this group and see, you know, let's prove it. I, I think that that's ultimately the thing that drives these mm. sweet decisions is, you know, let me, let me show you that it works. And, and in fact, right. if you even look throughout an organization, you do an inventory of organizational departments, those with, with strong engagement, with empathetic leadership, mm-hmm. the real sense of, of collaboration and collective achievement um, are far outperforming those teams that are, in this competitive dog-eat-dog hunger games of a, of a environment. As you're talking, I have to just share a quick story. This morning I got a phone call from a SWAT team leader who uh, experienced a teammate who, uh, who died in a, a, a boxing match. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. this young SWAT team member had a, a swollen brain as a result of the TBI from multiple years of having his brain pounded. But as a member of the SWAT team, his death has impacted the entire team to the point where they're not operational, which is a risk for them and it's a risk for the community. And I can't help but think about, as you're speaking here, their need to engage with each other versus their silence. And um, I'm, I'm learning 
uh, as we're speaking here together right now, how to use some of this from this, you know, corporate context to this technology startup context to the human condition in which people are truly suffering. And I think that engagement driving human profitability and that strong engagement equalizing achievement in this particular instance is so powerful because we always say to ourselves that lives are not at stake here. But when you, Chris, bring it down into the individual level of well-being and burnout, it is at the individual level. And lives are at stake here because when people are not performing at their best with other human beings, they lose a bit of that purpose and they lose enough of it and they're going to lose themselves. And I think we do have something here that's enriching and powerful and practical that we can all grasp onto and use in our daily life. And I, I can't thank you enough. Well, that's, that's a, a that's a difficult story, well, but I think you're exactly right. And when the leader starts from a position of, you know what, this really has hit me hard, so let me share how I feel about this, this team member that we've lost, that gives yeah. permission for the rest of the team to feel as well. And, and, mm-hmm. and that's a place where a leader really can demonstrate empathy right. very clearly. Exactly, yeah. We're going we're gonna to take these wonderful words. We're going to take a quick break. Um, we'll be right back. So don't go away. You're listening to Leadership Development News. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. How can you be brilliant in the moment? Given the daily challenges you face at work and home, how can you enhance your strengths and limit your weaknesses? Dr. Greenberg and Dr. Nadler's mission is to help people be the best version of themselves at work and at home with simple, trusted, evidence-based tips and tools. They have combined forces, applying the powerful science of emotional and social intelligence with the latest in e-learning and AI technology to bring you the Emotional Brilliance Academy. Through the leading Emotional Brilliance Academy programs, they help everyday leaders like you balance your emotions to better connect with people, enhance top performance, lead your teams and your organization. The Emotional Brilliance Academy gives you a common sense approach to enhance your effectiveness and happiness both on and off the job. Sign up for the program, enhance your skills, and be your best self. For a free trial, go to freetrial.emotionalbrilliance.com. That's freetrial.emotionalbrilliance.com. EBA is powered by Fearless Leaders Group, the H2C Leadership Foundation, and True North Leadership. Say It Skillfully is my radio show about being who you are and saying what you think needs to be said. This is your host, Molly Chang. I'll help you find the right words to tackle any challenging conversation you've been avoiding. Whether you're part of a small project team or leading a giant company, the more you accept that you're part of the problem, the faster you can be part of the solution. You'll learn how to achieve success on your terms and be happier, healthier, and more productive at work and in your life. Check out sayitskillfully.com for practical resources, including my 90-second videos, real-life examples showing you how to speak up skillfully. I invite you to call in with your questions. Join me live every Tuesday, 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. And no, I'm cheering for you. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers with your hosts, Dr. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions for these noted experts, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show.
Welcome back to Leadership Development News. We're talking with Chris Shepley. Her uh, website is C for ChrisShepley.com. You can see uh, uh, about her book, The Empathy Advantage, Leading the Empowered Workforce. You have one thing, uh, Chris, I think that in the book, the difference between the resume mindset and the eulogy mindset. And I was saying during the break, I use that all the time with folks. But let me kind of hear how you present that and, uh, and how that's received from folks. Sure. Well, we, we borrow liberally from a, a 2015 essay from the New York Times columnist, David Brooks, who talks about resume virtues and eulogy virtues. And, and one is sort of hmm. the, the resume virtues or the resume mindset is really focused on sort of what you do, how things work, um, what work you have done. Where a eulogy mindset is really about um, what is what if your your sense of purpose and wonder and passion, the stories that people tell about you. So an example is that some might say, well, you know, Cheryl was a, a great, you know, Cheryl was an accountant in our family-owned manufacturing company for 25 years. And that's a, that's a resume eulogy, resume mindset. But to say, you know, Cheryl was really good at working with our, our accounts receivable so that we never missed a payroll. And when we had that challenge with, with uh, the supply chain, she was able to really uh, you know, work her magic, and somehow everything came together, and we were able to stay in production even as our competitors were having real challenges. That's a eulogy mindset. That's talking about what is this, per- this person who, whose job was to, to you know, add up rows and, and columns was really about how did she, she participate in the organization in ways, how did she engage with the partners of the organization, the stakeholders of the organization, to deliver value. And so when we think about that, right, I've got a job description, and that's my resume, but my eulogy really is about how did I impact my workplace, how did I impact the people in the organization, outside the organization, and, and really make a difference. And that being focused on your eulogy mindset actually makes you far more adaptable in a changing world of work because it's... Mm-hmm. Those are the, the skills that you bring, regardless of what the tasks are, the job that you might have. Yeah, when you think about the things that we really acknowledge um, about people, and when you think about uh, kind of love languages, wouldn't it be nice if somebody wrote a book about work languages? You know, what is it that makes somebody feel like they've done a good job, or that makes a person uh, who's receiving that deliverable feel good about it? It's, the magic, right, of the team. There's something about that that we're missing right now, uh, Chris, and I guess the generation gap is showing up again. Can you talk a little bit about this Gen Z, um, uh, you know, the Generation Z element of, of what's going on in the work environment when it comes to empathy? Yeah, and it's a really important question because certainly as, as boomers stay in the workforce longer, we have four and maybe in some cases even five generations working together in a very different kind of scenario with their, in different levels and stature in the organization, different roles and responsibilities. And so that kind of intergenerational empathy becomes critical for effective teams. And when you step back and you look at Gen Z, and I know there's a Poor folks get a, a, a bad rap a lot of time for not wanting to work or, or not working hard enough. Or you know, I shake my fist and say, "Well, back in my day, we didn't." That's why it's called work, and all those things that that maybe the older generation sometimes default to. Well, look at their lives. They were born into nine eleven. They've never known uh, in the world without some major conflict somewhere. They have gone through uh, multiple financial meltdowns. Uh, they have. And we're born at a time, we're coming of age when the United Nations said that we were facing a climate catastrophe that could you know, be irreversible within a decade. They have seen, and they're living in this very divisive political world. In other words, their world has been full of stress from the, the day they were born. And that, that puts up, that puts a lot in perspective, right? These, these are folks who are saying, listen, I, I care about the environment. I care about people. I care about the things that I care about. And if my workplace can't see that, if my workplace doesn't enable me to tap into those passions, 
then I'll go work someplace else. And you know, because I'm it, life is is too you know, difficult um, and too tenuous for me to spend a lot of time toiling away in a workplace that doesn't value me. And that's if you can get into that, you understand that mindset. This is a a lifetime for someone who's twenty two, three, four, five years old coming into the, the workforce for the first time, they haven't had an experience of collegiality, of of the kind of team building that, that um, you know, shows mentorship across generations. They're just kind of trying to get through um, a, a world that, that, you know, where the news reports every night are telling them that the you know, world's coming to an end and, oh, by the way, here's this pandemic and you're going to get to graduate high school or college on Zoom. Um, and not have those kinds of experiences that were so formative to other generations. So they're coming at the workplace from a very different headspace than, than you know, certainly I did. And when we can step back and say, what what can we learn from that? How can we understand? How can how can they help us? And by us, I mean maybe older generations really embrace our values so that. Work can be better for me, too. What can I learn from them? How can mm-hmm. I mentor them? How can we learn from each other in a way that we, again, our, our collective intelligence, our collective emotional intelligence is stronger as a result? That's powerful. Very That's powerful. It. So I, yeah. I, I can liken it to putting a pot on your head, banging it with a spoon, and then trying to hear somebody speaking to you in a conversational language. It's, it's almost impossible. Right. That's, yeah, that's painful just kind of imagining that. That's crazy. <laughs> I'm telling you. It, it's a powerful yeah. day here. It's a very powerful conversation. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, Chris, one of the things that you have in your book uh, is you assert that many leaders are hyper-focused on closing the skills gap, but this may be a waste of time. So maybe you can kind of speak to that as we're zeroing in as, as our time is dwindling. Sure. Well, the skills gap you know, traditionally is, what do I know now, and what do I need to do this new thing? And and there's a, a delta there that we presume in, in the workplace that we can fill with training or additional education. And, and we can get close. We can learn new things, but that far edge of the next new thing is moving so quickly forward that we're always going to be racing to catch up. And, and that skills gap never really closes. We never can fully bridge it with um, specific codified skills. And so the, the great talent, I think, that comes into the workplace today is someone with a, a highly adaptive mindset, someone who is, has a learning mindset that says, you know what, I, we're never going to know everything we need to know, certainly not individually, um, but we can make every experience a learning experience. Um, we can tap the collective uh, know-how of this team in ways that, again, collectively we can begin to fill that gap, and begin to maybe see around the corner a little bit to some new technologies that might be coming along, some changes in the market that might be affecting the workplace and require us to um, continually you know, upskill and, and retrain and relearn um, and unlearn a lot of the things that aren't useful anymore. And, and so, again, doing that in a, in a collective space helps us get closer, but recognizing that we live in a world of exponential change and in that world, we don't have the time to codify some courseware, go back to university, learn something. By the time we come back in to address that need, that need's moved on. And that's what I mean about that skills gap not form filling. And as a result, really, we need to look at what are the foundational skills, adaptation, learning, empathy, um, collaboration, that will help us mm-hmm. in the face of that uh, onslaught of change. When you think about what we need to do to do that and the energy that it takes to do that, what's one tip, just one tip we can take from your book right now, Chris, that's going to help us each start leading with empathy? Well, I said it before, and I think it's still true, is that moment of of self-empathy, to recognize that you don't have to know everything Mm. um, and that there's that lifts a lot of stress and anxiety for the leader to recognize that we need to work in a different way. But I think that different way is really to start to think about how do I create a work team 
that experiences together um, the challenges that we have. How can I kind of curate a work experience rather than lead a work experience? And that, that sounds a lot harder, but in a lot of ways it's really about how do I turn back to my people and give them the tools to be successful? How do I talk with my team about what they need to be successful, what roadblocks are in their way. And then my job as a leader is to, to be the procurement officer for those, those, those tools, those requirements, and to be the, you know, do the, the, the blocking and tackling to get th- things out of their way so that they can be their best. If I can just start with that place of my job is to enable my people, mm-hmm. and I need to ask them, they best know what they need, then I think, Again, the anxiety slips away a little bit because I now relieved myself of the pressure of having to know everything and be always right to being the yeah. person who's always available, always um, working to be the the the, uh, mm-hmm. the the kind of the problem solving of the needs of the employees so that they can do their best work. Beautiful, absolutely beautiful. beautiful the empathy Chris. advantage, I would, I would yeah, agree. amazing. And Chris, we kind of talk about that. You know, I like to self-focus. Are you on your case or on your side? On your case is more, better, faster, Mm -hmm. more, better, faster. Mm -hmm. On your side is this didn't work out so well, but what do I need to learn? What would I do differently? You know, all those same kind of self-coaching skills that you would use with others. Can you use on yourself? Beautiful. Yeah. You know, I I call it the the project post-mortem. You know, we we tend to say, well, this really this really worked well, and and that didn't, and let's move on. But to really take the time to to bring a team together and say, you know, what worked and why, and what didn't work and why, and what would we do differently, or you know, where would we have stopped sooner? Kind of uh, you know, that that deliberate understanding yeah. of uh, in in you know that again the post mortem in a way that it is a learning experience. It's not. You know, punishing because something didn't work, but rather, what did we learn out of that? What What are we not going to do again, and what are we going to do differently to be more successful in the future? Well said, and it's been an amazing show. It went by so fast. Thank you, Chris Shipley, for being with us today, and thank you to your uh, your your co-writing and and co-teaching agent Heather McGowan. Thank you both for all you do. Uh, this has been a great show, really. I've enjoyed this immensely. Yeah, me, me also. You've been listening to Leadership I'll be the third. Thank you so much for, for bringing me on to have this great conversation, and thank you both for the work that you do to help leaders become more empathetic. Yes, we, we agree totally with the message. So make sure you go to our website, www.emotionalbrilliance.com slash academy to get your free ebook Why Leaders Need Emotional Intelligence. And tune in to tune up your performance, and we'll... See you next week. Thank you. You've been listening to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers with your hosts, Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We sincerely hope that you gained some great ideas and inspiration on how to elevate your leadership skills. Join us again next Monday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time right here on the Voice America Business Channel.